Section 6 of the Turkish Embassy Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Turkish Embassy Letters by Lady Mary Wortley Montague. Letter 14. Pera, March the 16th, O.S. 1717. I am extremely pleased, my dear lady, that you have at length found a commission for me that I can answer without disappointing your expectations, though I must tell you that it is not so easy as perhaps you think it, and that if my curiosity had not been more diligent than any other stranger's has ever yet been, I must have answered you with an excuse, as I was forced to do when you desired me to buy you a Greek slave. I have got for you, as you desire, a Turkish love letter, which I have put in a little box, and ordered the captain of the Smyrniote to deliver it to you with this letter. The translation of it is literally as follows. The first piece you should pull out of the purse is a little pearl, which is in Turkish called Ingi, and must be understood in this manner. Ingi. Sensin guzaren gingi. Pearl fairest of the young. Karafil. Karam filsen karam yok. Konge gulsum timarin yok. Benseni chok than severin. Senin benden haverin yok. Clove. You are as slender as the clove. You are an unblown rose. I have long loved you, and you have not known it. Bull. Derdime derman bull. Jonquil, have pity on my passion. Kihat, bilerung sahat sahat. Paper, I faint every hour. Ermus, ver bixer bear umut. Pear, give me some hope. Dahun, derdinen oldum zabun. Soap, I am sick with love. Kemur, ben oleum sise umur. Pol, may I die and all my years be yours. Gul, ben aglarum sen gul. A rose, may you be pleased and your sorrows mine. Hasir, olim sana zazir. A straw, suffer me to be your slave. Yoho. Ustune bulunmas pahu. Cloth. Your price is not to be found. Tatsin. Sengel ben. Chekim senin hatsin. Cinnamon. But my fortune is yours. Giro. Esking ilen oldum hira. A match. I burn, I burn. My flame consumes me. Sirma. Uzunu benden agirma. Gold thread. Don't turn away your face from me. Such. Basmazum touch. Hair. Crown of my head. Uzum. Benin iki guzum. Grape. My two eyes. Till. Ulgorum tezkel. Gold wire. I die. Come quickly. 
and by way of postscript, Faber, Bisa beer dogmum haber, Pepper, send me an answer. You see, this letter is all in verse, and I can assure you there is as much fancy shown in the choice of them as in the most studied expressions of our letters, there being, I believe, a million of verses designed for this use. There is no colour, no flower, no weed, no fruit, herb, pebble or feather that has not a verse belonging to it. And you may quarrel, reproach, or send letters of passion, friendship or civility, or even of news, without ever inking your fingers. I fancy you are now wondering at my profound learning, but alas, dear madam, I am almost fallen into the misfortune so common to the ambitious, while they are employed on distant, insignificant conquests abroad, a rebellion starts up at home. I am in great danger of losing my English. I find tis not half so easy to me to write in it as it was a twelve-month ago. I am forced to study for expression, and must leave off all other languages, and try to learn my mother tongue. Human understanding is as much limited as human power or human strength. The memory can retain but a certain number of images, and tis as impossible for one human creature to be perfect master of ten different languages as to have in perfect subjection ten different kingdoms, or to fight against ten men at a time. I am afraid I shall at last know none as I should do. I live in a place that very well represents the Tower of Babel. In Pera they speak Turkish, Greek, Hebrew, Armenian, Arabic, Persian, Russian, Sclavonian, Wallachian, German, Dutch, French, English, Italian, Hungarian. And what is worse, there are ten of these languages spoken in my own family. My grooms are Arabs, my footmen French, English and Germans, my nurse an Armenian, my housemaids Russians, half a dozen other servants Greeks, my steward an Italian, my janissaries Turks so that I live in the perpetual hearing of this medley of sounds, which produces a very extraordinary effect upon the people that are born here, for they learn all these languages at the same time, and without knowing any of them well enough to write or read in it. There are very few men, women, or even children here that have not the same compass of words in five or six of them. I know myself of several infants of three or four years old, that speak Italian, French, Greek, Turkish, and Russian, which last they learn of their nurses, who are generally of that country. This seems almost incredible to you, and is, in my mind, one of the most curious things in this country, and takes off very much from the merit of our ladies, who set up for such extraordinary geniuses, upon the credit of some superficial knowledge of French and Italian. As I prefer English to all the rest, I am extremely mortified at the daily decay of it in my head, where I'll assure you, with grief of heart, it is reduced to such a small number of words, I cannot recollect any tolerable phrase to conclude my letter with, and am forced to tell your ladyship, very bluntly, that I am yours, etc. Letter 15. 
Tunis, July the 31st, O.S. 1718. I left Constantinople the 6th of the last month, and this is the first post from whence I could send a letter, though I have often wished for the opportunity, that I might impart some of the pleasure I found in this voyage through the most agreeable part of the world, where every scene presents me some poetical idea. Warmed with poetic transport I survey the immortal islands and the well-known sea, for here so oft the muse her harp has strung that not a mountain rears its head unsung. I beg your pardon for this sally, and will, if I can, continue the rest of my account in plain prose. The second day after we set sail, we passed Gallipolis, a fair city, situated in the bay of Chersonesus, and much respected by the Turks, being the first town they took in Europe. At five the next morning, we anchored in the Hellespont, between the castles of Sestos and Abydos, now called the Dardanelli. These are now two little ancient castles, but of no strength, being commanded by a rising ground behind them, which I confess I should never have taken notice of if I had not heard it observed by our captain and officers, my imagination being wholly employed by the tragic story that you are well acquainted with. The swimming lover and the knightly bride, how Hero loved and how Leander died. Verse again, I am certainly infected by the poetical air I have passed through. That of Abydos is undoubtedly very amorous, since that soft passion betrayed the castle into the hands of the Turks, who besieged it in the reign of Orcanes. The governor's daughter, imagining to have seen her future husband in a dream, though I don't find she had either slept upon bride cake or kept St. Agnes fast, fancied she saw the dear figure in the form of one of her besiegers, and, being willing to obey her destiny, tossed a note to him over the wall with the offer of her person and the delivery of the castle. He showed it to his general, who consented to try the sincerity of her intentions, and withdrew his army, ordering the young man to return with a select body of men at midnight. She admitted him at the appointed hour. He destroyed the garrison, took the father prisoner, and made her his wife. This town is in Asia, first founded by the Milesians. Sestos is in Europe, and was once the principal city of Chernonesus. Since I have seen this strait, I find nothing improbable in the adventure of Leander, or very wonderful in the bridge of boats of Xerxes. Tis so narrow, tis not surprising a young lover should attempt to swim, or an ambitious king try to pass his army over it. But then, tis so subject to storms, tis no wonder the lover perished, and the bridge was broken. From hence we had a full view of Mount Ida, where Juno once caressed her amorous Jove, and the world's master lay subdued by love. Not many leagues sail from hence, I saw the point of land where poor old Hecuba was buried, and about a league from that place is Cape Janissary, the famous promontory of Sigium, where we anchored. My curiosity supplied me with strength to climb to the top of it, to see the place where Achilles was buried, and where Alexander ran naked round his tomb in honour of him, which no doubt was a great comfort to his ghost. I saw there the ruins of a very large city, and found a stone 
on which Mr. Wortley plainly distinguished the words of Seagai Anpolin. We ordered this on board the ship, but we showed others much more curious by a Greek priest, though a very ignorant fellow, that could give no tolerable account of anything. On each side the door of this little church lie two large stones, about ten feet long each, five in breadth and three in thickness. That on the right is a very fine white marble, the side of it beautifully carved in bas-relief. It represents a woman who seems to be designed for some deity, sitting on a chair with a footstool, and before her another woman weeping, and presenting to her a young child that she has in her arms, followed by a procession of women with children in the same manner. This is certainly part of a very ancient tomb, but I dare not pretend to give the true explanation of it. On the stone on the left side is a very fair inscription, but the Greek is too ancient for Mr. Wortley's interpretation. I am very sorry not to have the original in my possession, which might have been purchased of the poor inhabitants for a small sum of money. But our captain assured us that without having machines made on purpose, it was impossible to bear it to the seaside, and, when it was there, his longboat would not be large enough to hold it. The ruins of this great city are now inhabited by poor Greek peasants, who wear the Scioti habit, the women being in short petticoats, fastened by straps round their shoulders, and large smock sleeves of white linen, with neat shoes and stockings, and on their heads a large piece of muslin, which falls in large folds on their shoulders. One of my countrymen, Mr. Sands, whose book I doubt not you have read, as one of the best of its kind, speaking of these ruins, supposes them to have been the foundation of a city begun by Constantine, before his building Byzantium. But I see no good reason for that imagination, and am apt to believe them much more ancient. We saw very plainly from this promontory the river Simois, rolling from Mount Ida and running through a very spacious valley. It is now a considerable river and is called Simores. It is joined in the vale by the Scamander, which appeared a small stream half choked with mud, but is perhaps large in the winter. This was Xanthus among the gods, as Homer tells us, and tis by that heavenly name the nymph Oeni invokes it in her epistle to Paris. The Trojan virgins used to offer their first favours to it by the name of Scamander, till the adventure which Monsieur de la Fontaine has told so agreeably abolished that heathenish ceremony. When the stream is mingled with the Simoes, they run together to the sea. All that is left now of Troy is the ground on which it stood, for, I am firmly persuaded, Whatever pieces of antiquity may be found round it are much more modern, and I think Strabo says the same thing. However, there is some pleasure in seeing the valley where I imagined the famous duel of Menelaus and Paris had been fought, and where the greatest city in the world was situated. Tis certainly the noblest situation that can be found for the head of a great empire, much to be preferred to that of Constantinople the harbour here being always convenient for ships from all parts of the world, and that of Constantinople, inaccessible almost six months in the year, while the north wind reigns. North of the promontory of Sigium, we saw that of Ratium, famed for the sepulchre of Ajax. 
while i viewed these celebrated fields and rivers i admired the exact geography of homer whom i had in my hand almost every epithet he gives to a mountain or plain is still just for it and i spent several hours here in as agreeable cogitations as ever don quixote had on mount montesinos we sailed next night to the shore where tis vulgarly reported troy stood and i took the pains of rising at two in the morning to view coolly those ruins which are commonly showed to strangers and which the turks called eski stambul i e old constantinople for that reason as well as some others i conjecture them to be the remains of that city begun by constantine i hired an ass the only voiture to be had here that i might go some miles into the country and take a tour round the ancient walls which are of a vast extent we found the remains of a castle on a hill and of another in a valley several broken pillars and two pedestals from which i took those latin inscriptions one divi aug col et col igu philippensis eorundum principum col io pariane tribune millit col thirty two voluntar trib millet leg thirteen gem prefecto equit ale l scubalorum vic eight two divi eul flamini c antonio m f bolt rufo flamin div aug col cl apprens et col eul philippensis eorundum et princip item col eul parian a trib millet col thirty two voluntario trib millet thirteen gem pref equit ale i scubalorum vic seven i do not doubt but the remains of a temple near this place are the ruins of one dedicated to augustus and i know not why mr sands calls it a christian temple since the romans certainly built hereabouts here are many tombs of fine marble and vast pieces of granite which are daily lessened by the prodigious balls that the Turks make from them for their cannon. We passed that evening the Isle of Tenedos, once under the patronage of Apollo, as he gave it in himself in the particulars of his estate when he courted Daphne. It is but ten miles in circuit, but in those days very rich and well peopled, still famous for its excellent wine. I say nothing of Tennis, from whom it was called, but naming Mytilene, where we passed next, I cannot forbear mentioning Lesbos, where Sappho sung, and Pittacus reigned, famous for the birth of Alcius, Theophrastus, and Arion, those masters in poetry, philosophy, and music. This was one of the last islands that remained in the Christian dominion, after the conquest of Constantinople by the Turks. But need I talk to you of Cantacusinae? etc princes that you are as well acquainted with as i am twas with regret i saw a sail from this island into the aegean sea now the archipelago leaving scio the ancient chios on the left which is the richest and most populous of these islands fruitful in cotton corn and silk 
planted with groves of orange and lemon trees, and the Arvesian mountain, still celebrated for the nectar that Virgil mentions. Here is the best manufacture of silks in all Turkey. The town is well built, the women famous for their beauty, and show their faces as in Christendom. There are many rich families, though they confine their magnificence to the inside of their houses, to avoid the jealousy of the Turks, who have a pasha here. However, they enjoy a reasonable liberty, and indulge the genius of their country, and eat and sing and dance away their time, fresh as their groves and happy as their clime. Their chains hang lightly on them, though it is not long since they were imposed, not being under the Turk till 1566, but perhaps tis as easy to obey the Grand Signor as the state of Genoa, to whom they were sold by the Greek Emperor. But I forget myself in these historical touches, which are very impertinent when I write to you. Passing the strait between the islands of Andros and Achaia, now Libadia, we saw the promontory of Sunium, now called Cape Colonna, where are yet standing the vast pillars of a temple of Minerva. This venerable sight made me think, with double regret, on a beautiful temple of Theseus, which, I am assured, was almost entire at Athens till the last campaign in the Morea, that the Turks filled it with powder, and it was accidentally blown up. You may believe I had a great mind to land on the famed Peloponnesus, though it were only to look on the rivers of Aesopus, Peneus, Inachus, and Eurotas, the fields of Arcadia, and other scenes of ancient mythology. But instead of demigods and heroes, I was credibly informed, tis now overrun by robbers, and that I should run a great risk of falling into their hands by undertaking such a journey through a desert country, for which, however, I have so much respect that I have much ado to hinder myself from troubling you with its whole history, from the foundation of Nicana and Corinth to the last campaign there. But I check the inclination as I did that of landing. We sailed quietly by Cape Angelo, once Malia, where I saw no remains of the famous temple of Apollo. We came that evening in sight of Candia. It is very mountainous. We easily distinguished that of Ida. We have Virgil's authority that here were a hundred cities. Centum urbes habitant magnas. The chief of them, the scene of monstrous passions. Metellus first conquered this birthplace of his Jupiter. It fell afterward into the hands of, I am running on to the very siege of Candia, and I am so angry with myself that I will pass by all the other islands with this general reflection, that tis impossible to imagine anything more agreeable than this journey would have been two or three thousand years since, when, after drinking a dish of tea with Sappho, I might have gone the same evening to visit the temple of Homer in Chios and passed this very voyage in taking plans of magnificent temples, delineating the miracles of statuaries, and conversing with the most polite and most gay of mankind. Alas, art is extinct here, the wonders of nature alone remain, and it was with vast pleasure I observed those of Mount Etna, whose flame appears very bright in the night, many leagues off at sea and fills the head with a thousand conjectures. However, I honour philosophy too much 
to imagine it could turn that of Empedocles, and Lucian shall never make me believe such a scandal of a man of whom Lucretius says, Vix humana videtur sturpe creatus. We passed Trinacria without hearing any of the sirens that Homer describes, and being thrown on neither Scylla nor Charybdis, came safe to Malta, first called Melita, from the abundance of honey. It is a whole rock covered with very little earth. The Grand Master lives here in the state of a sovereign prince, but his strength at sea now is very small. The fortifications are reckoned the best in the world, all cut in the solid rock with infinite expense and labour. Off this island we were tossed by a severe storm and were very glad, after eight days, to be able to put into Porta Farine on the African shore where our ship now rides. At Tunis we were met by the English consul who resides there. I readily accepted the offer of his house for some days, being very curious to see this part of the world and particularly the ruins of Carthage. I set out in his chaise at nine at night, the moon being at full. I saw the prospect of the country almost as well as I could have done by daylight, and the heat of the sun is now so intolerable tis impossible to travel at any other time. The soil is for the most part sandy, but everywhere fruitful of date, olive and fig trees, which grow without art, yet afford the most delicious fruit in the world. Their vineyards and melon fields are enclosed by hedges of that plant we call Indian fig, which is an admirable fence, no wild beast being able to pass it. It grows a great height, very thick, and the spikes and thorns are as long and as sharp as bodkins. It bears a fruit much eaten by the peasants, and which has no ill taste. It being now the season of the Turkish Ramazan, or Lent, and all here professing at least the Mohammedan religion, they fast till the going down of the sun, and spend the night in feasting. We saw under the trees companies of the country people, eating, singing, and dancing to their wild music. They are not quite black, but all mulattoes, and the most frightful creatures that can appear in a human figure. They are almost naked, only wearing a piece of coarse serge wrapped about them. The women have their arms to their very shoulders, and their necks and faces adorned with flowers, stars, and various sorts of figures impressed by gunpowder, a considerable addition to their natural deformity, which is, however, esteemed very ornamental among them, and I believe they suffer a good deal of pain by it. About six miles from Tunis we saw the remains of that noble aqueduct which carried the water to Carthage over several high mountains, the length of forty miles. There are still many arches in Tyre. We spent two hours viewing it with great attention, and Mr. Wortley assured me that of Rome is very much inferior to it. The stones are of a prodigious size, and yet all polished, and so exactly fitted to each other very little cement has been made use of to join them. Yet they may probably stand a thousand years longer, if art is not made use of to pull them down. Soon after daybreak I arrived at Tunis, a town fairly built of very white stone, but quite without gardens, which they say 
were all destroyed when the Turks first took it, none having been planted since. The dry sand gives a very disagreeable prospect to the eye, and the want of shade contributing to the natural heat of the climate renders it so excessive that I have much ado to support it. It is true here every noon the refreshment of the sea breeze, without which it would be impossible to live but no fresh water but what is preserved in the cisterns of the rains that fall in the month of September. The women of the town go veiled from head to foot under a black crepe, being mixed with a breed of renegados, are said to be many of them fair and handsome. This city was besieged in 1270 by Louis, King of France, who died under the walls of it of a pestilential fever. After his death, Philip his son, and our Prince Edward, son of Henry the Third, raised the siege on honourable terms. It remained under its natural African kings, till betrayed into the hands of Barbarossa, Admiral of Solomon the Magnificent. The Emperor Charles V expelled Barbarossa, but it was recovered by the Turks, under the conduct of Sinan Pasha, in the reign of Selim II. From that time till now it has remained tributary to the Grand Seigneur, governed by a bey, who suffers the name of subject to the Turk, but has renounced the subjection, being absolute and very seldom paying any tribute. The great city of Baghdad is at this time in the same circumstances, and the Grand Seigneur connives at the loss of these dominions, for fear of losing even the titles of them. I went very early yesterday morning, after one night's repose, to see the ruins of Carthage. I was, however, half-boiled in the sun, and overjoyed to be led into one of the subterranean apartments, which they call the Stables of the Elephants, which, which I cannot believe were ever designed for that use. I found in them many broken pieces of columns, of fine marble, and some of porphyry. I cannot think anybody would take the insignificant pains of carrying them thither, and I cannot imagine such fine pillars were designed for the use of stables. I am apt to believe they were summer apartments under their palaces, which the heat of the climate rendered necessary. They are now used as granaries by the country people. While I sat here, from the town of Tents, not far off, many of the women flocked in to see me, and we were equally entertained with viewing one another. Their posture in sitting, the colour of their skin, their lank black hair falling on each side their faces, their features and the shape of their limbs differ so little from their country people, the baboons, tis hard to fancy them a distinct race. I could not help thinking there had been some ancient alliances between them. When I was a little refreshed by rest and some milk, and exquisite fruit they bought me, I went up the little hill where once stood the castle of Bursa, and from thence I had a distinct view of the situation of the famous city of Carthage, which stood on an isthmus, the sea coming on each side of it. It is now a marshy ground on one side, where there are salt ponds. Strabo calls Carthage forty miles in circumference. There are now no remains of it but what I have described and the history of it is too well known to want my abridgment of it. You see, sir, that I think you esteem obedience better than compliments. 
I have answered your letter by giving you the accounts you desired, and have reserved my thanks to the conclusion. I intend to leave this place tomorrow, and continue my journey through Italy and France. In one of those places, I hope to tell you, by word of mouth, that I am your humble servant, etc., etc. Letter 16, Genoa, August the 28th, OS 1718. Genoa is situated in a very fine bay, and being built on a rising hill, intermixed with gardens, and beautified with the most excellent architecture, gives a very fine prospect off at sea, though it lost much of its beauty in my eyes, having been accustomed to that of Constantinople. The Genoese were once masters of several islands in the archipelago, and all that part of Constantinople, which is now called Galata. There betraying the Christian cause by facilitating the taking of Constantinople by the Turk, deserved what has since happened to them, even the loss of all their conquests on that side to those infidels. They are at present far from rich, and are despised by the French, since their doge was forced by the late king to go in person to Paris, to ask pardon for such a trifle as the arms of France over the house of the envoy being spattered with dung in the night. This, I suppose, was done by some of the Spanish faction, which still makes up the majority here, though they dare not openly declare it. The ladies affect the French habit, and are more genteel than those they imitate. I do not doubt but the custom of chichis beos has very much improved their airs. I know not whether you ever heard of those animals. Upon my word, nothing but my own eyes could have convinced me there were any such upon earth. The fashion began here, and is now received all over Italy, where the husbands are not such terrible creatures as we represent them. There are none among them such brutes as to pretend to find fault with a custom so well established and so politically founded, since I am assured that it was an expedient first found out by the Senate, to put an end to those family hatreds which tore their state to pieces, and to find employment for those young men who were forced to cut one another's throats pour passer le temps. And it has succeeded so well that, since the institution of Chiches Bay, there has been nothing but peace and good humour among them. These are gentlemen who devote themselves to the service of a particular lady. I mean a married one, for the virgins are all invisible and confined to convents. They are obliged to wait on her to all public places, such as the plays, the operas and assemblies, which are here called conversations, where they wait behind her chair, take care of her fan and gloves, if she play, have the privilege of whispers, etc. When she goes out, they serve her instead of lackeys, gravely trotting by her chair. Tis their business to prepare for her a present against any day of public appearance, not forgetting that of her own name. In short, they are to spend all their time and money in her service, who rewards them accordingly, for opportunity they want none, but the husband is not to have the impudence to suppose this any other than pure platonic friendship. Tis true, they endeavour to give her a chichisbeo of their own choosing, but when the lady happens not to be of the same taste, as that often happens, she never fails to bring it about to have one of her own fancy. In former times, one beauty used to have eight or ten of these humble admirers. 
but those days of plenty and humility are no more, men grow more scarce and saucy, and every lady is forced to content herself with one at a time. You may see in this place the glorious liberty of a republic, or, more properly, an aristocracy, the common people being here as errant slaves as the French. But the old nobles pay little respect to the doge, who is but two years in his office, and whose wife, at that very time, assumes no rank above another noble lady. Tis true, the family of Andrea Doria, that great man, who restored them that liberty they enjoy, have some particular privileges. When the Senate found it necessary to put a stop to the luxury of dress, forbidding the wearing of jewels and brocades, they left them at liberty to make what expense they pleased. I look with great pleasure on the statue of that hero, which is in the court belonging to the house of Duke Doria. This puts me in mind of their palaces, which I can never describe as I ought. Is it not enough that I say they are, most of them, the design of Palladio? The street called Strada Nova is perhaps the most beautiful line of building in the world. I must particularly mention the vast palaces of Durazzo, those of the two Balbi, joined together by a magnificent colonnade, those of the Imperiale at this village of San Pier d'Arena, and another of the Doria. The perfection of architecture and the utmost profusion of rich furniture are to be seen here, disposed with the most elegant taste and lavish magnificence. But I am charmed with nothing so much as the collection of pictures by the pencils of Raphael, Paolo Veronese, Titian, Caracci, Michelangelo, Guido, and Correggio, which two I mentioned last as my particular favourites. I own I can find no pleasure in objects of horror, and in my opinion, the more naturally a crucifix is represented, the more disagreeable it is. These, my beloved painters, show nature and show it in the most charming light. I was particularly pleased with a Lucretia in the house of Balbi. The expressive beauty of that face and bosom gives all the expression of pity and admiration that could be raised in the soul by the finest poem upon that subject. A Cleopatra of the same hand deserves to be mentioned, and I should say more of her if Lucretia had not at first engaged my eyes. Here are also some inestimable ancient bustos. The Church of St. Lawrence is built of black and white marble, where is kept that famous plate of a single emerald, which is not now permitted to be handled, since a plot, which they say was discovered, to throw it on the pavement and break it a childish piece of malice, which they ascribed to the King of Sicily, to be revenged for their refusing to sell it to him. The Church of the Annunciation is finely lined with marble. The pillars are of red and white marble. That of St. Ambrose has been very much adorned by the Jesuits, but I confess all the churches appeared so mean to me after that of Sancta Sophia, I can hardly do them the honour of writing down their names. But I hope you will own I have made good use of my time in seeing so much, since tis not many days that we have been out of the quarantine, from which nobody is exempted coming from the Levant. Ours indeed was very much shortened, and very agreeably passed, 
in Monsieur Davenon's company, in the village of Saint-Pierre-de-Rena, about a mile from Genoa, in a house built by Palladio, so well designed and so nobly proportioned, twas a pleasure to walk in it. We were visited here only by a few English, in the company of a noble Genoese, commissioned to see we did not touch one another. I shall stay here some days longer, and could almost wish it were for all my life, but mine, I fear, is not destined to so much tranquillity. End of section 6 End of the Turkish Embassy Letters by Lady Mary Wortley Montague